We'll be carrying on in Luke chapter 19 uh, as we're slowly wrapping up Luke. Um, and we're looking at, at, a, at a part here which is can be read over just sort of like anything else, but it's, it's really quite a significant uh, section of Scripture. And before we jump into the text, I kind of just want, want to picture, I think this will maybe help with the idea, picture some sort of great celebration. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was this epic anniversary party, a birthday party, some epic celebration. For me, when I think of it, I'm not just saying this like as a bandwagon sort of thing, but, but when I was young, I was, this must have been 1999, um, I, I, I was following Manchester United. And it just so happened to be the year that they won the treble. Yes. And any of you maybe you remember, they, they had this, this epic parade. And just, I don't know how many people were there, but they got the three trophies, one uh, courageously dangling it over the thing. But just this epic celebration. And you can imagine what that must have been like. And, and I'm not going to show it, but there was an interview, I, I don't know if it was with Giggs or one of the guys, and, and he was just saying like, afterwards he's like, I would give anything to be a part of that again. Like that was just the most amazing year but amazing celebration and, and it's, it's this sort of idea of a celebration that, that as we read this scripture I want you to keep that in mind that what we're reading is, is something sort of like that but yet so much more significant because what we read about isn't just about a sports championship but, but it's about this hopeful anticipation this, this anticipation that's been hanging over the Jewish nation for thousands of years as they felt the oppression of Syria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and currently the Romans. They felt this slavery, and, and they've been in hope and longing of when that slavery will be released. And so it's with that in mind, that, we, that backdrop, that we come in at verse 28 of Luke chapter 19. After Jesus said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage, Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And I'll just stop there for one second. Um, so again, as Jesus and his disciples are heading to Jerusalem, this is kind of, we've been taking the, sort of the slow journey with them there. Um, but, but they're heading there and the landscape is quite amazing. I haven't been there, but um, the landscape is quite amazing. You've got this scene. As, so this is sort of heading over the Mount of Olives and... This is where the temple... That doesn't work. That's where the temple used to be. It's now an Islamic uh, mosque or temple. But, but it was, a, temp, it was a, a Jewish temple. That's where the temple mount was, and this was the Mount of Olives. And, and so what was happening as you, passed past, as you went past Bethany and Bethpage, you would crest the Mount of Olives, and you would be all of a sudden eye-level, square in sight of the temple mount. And so this is one of the images that they would have had as they were coming over the Mount of Olives. What an amazing scene this really would have been. Um, And so we'll carry on to verse 30. Uh, So he sent to his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those... Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. 
as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And again, just stopping there. Um, so Jesus obviously asked the disciples, hey, I want you to go find this cult. And for those of you teens who have spent probably like the last, I don't know, 24 hours of the last 48 hours playing video games, he's not talking about like a handgun um, type thing. That's not what he's talking about. This cult is kind of like this little thing. And it's so cute, isn't it? It's just, it kind of reminds me of Thor, to be honest, the brightest little dog. It's just so cute. And, and it would have been something like this because it was, a, it was a cult that had never been ridden. It would have been a, a, a tiny cult. And it's cute, but it's not like, it's not epic. It's not like grand. It's, it's really cute as a nice little pet, but it's not this epic animal. It's not this prestigious, grand animal. There's nothing majestic about a cult. Nothing thoroughbred. And yet it's, it's one of these that will carry Jesus to Jerusalem. Wow. What an amazing God we worship. And again, the chances are that, that on this cult, it probably would have been a little bigger than this, on the, chances are that it was a small cult Again, it hadn't been ridden. And there's a good chance that as he was riding it, his feet most likely would have been able to touch the ground. Again, this isn't an epic scene for an entry of kind of... I think I've actually got a little photo. I sort of picture it a little like that. Like sort of, not the most sort of epic thing that we see. Um, and so I think as we read, keep, keep a bit of that in mind. Not that exact image, but the image of Jesus on this cult. Um, and so as he, again, as he's, as he's travelling on this little donkey towards the east gate, um, a gate of so much prophecy, which we won't really get into right now, but they, they spread, the disciples start to spread their cloaks on the road. That this was such an amazing journey that they didn't even want the hooves of a donkey touching the dirt. This is what it meant, to, meant for them. It was this unbelievable event, which we sometimes don't really fully understand. Um, and obviously in, in other Gospels, here it doesn't really talk about it, but in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, sorry, Matthew, Mark and John, it mentions that people, obviously they must have run out of cloaks at some point, and they started to put palm leaves out on the ground, which is why it's called Palm Sunday, which you may have heard of. Luke doesn't mention that. He was more of a cloak guy. He was kind of going for like cloak Sunday. And so he was real, but it didn't catch on, unfortunately. Not as catchy. Um, and, and so, but it's, it's with this, this entry in mind that we will continue reading in verse 37. Uh, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, again with that view in mind, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd told, uh, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build on every side. Sorry, will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Again, there's this epic scene, right, of, of Jesus going over the, te- over the Mount of Olives, heading towards 
the Temple Mount and, and people start breaking out in worship. They, they're reciting Psalm 118, again, just filled with so much messianic prophecy that this is a statement of our king is coming. Again, picture the Manchester treble parade, picture uh, the James Charles thing, whoever that person was last week. Just thousands upon thousands. I'm so sorry, I don't know. Thousands upon thousands of people crowding. And, and that's, that's this excitement for this moment. And, and really, it's this, this idea, because they, they realise they're witnessing the triumph of their king. And again, we don't really completely understand what or have the, I guess, the background understanding of what triumph is. And, and it comes, well, it goes back a few different languages, but in particular in the Latin language, it's uh, um, triumphus. And it was basically a celebration parade of a victorious general returning to Rome. And throughout times, they would have these triumphs, and, and generals would, would enter back into Rome victorious. And one in particular was, what we, which is linked to what we're reading, the destruction of Jerusalem. That's what Jesus is uh, foretelling, is the destruction of Jerusalem. And that was done by a general by the name of Titus in 70 AD. Um, and, and to commemorate his victory, as they came back in and to commemorate it, they actually built an arch, which you can go and still see today, called the Titus Arch. And, and it depicts exactly what happens and we've got also writings from Josephus which also depict this as well but, but even from this arch we get a good enough idea um, and if you were to look at, at the arch it shows, it shows his triumphal entry back into Rome and if you can tell what he's writing it's not a little donkey it's four epic horses that these white horses that he's being carried in on and, and not even just the horses but, but there was so much more in fact, uh, they would basically, they were at the start of the parade, they'd actually bring in the leaders of the vanquished nation that they just conquered and their families, sadly ready for execution. And, and then they would bring in all the spoils of the war, their, their gold, their armour, their weapons, their silver. And then Josephus describes it, that he's a Jewish historian, describes it that they had these floats, which they, they reenact or they reenacted, depicted basically the wars that happened in Jerusalem. And they, they did a bunch of different things, and they were so tall, they were up to four stories tall, some of these floats. And, and, and he, he described it, the crowds were standing back out of fear of these things falling down. And you think, imagine, imagine witnessing this, imagine being a part of this triumphal entry. Like the, the oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. And the parade was, was around four kilometres long, in fact, and they actually, it didn't happen once you entered, it happened outside. So you enter through, much like Jesus. They met him outside and welcomed him through. And this really brings us to our first point, which is our missing piece. Our missing piece. You, you look at, at the majesty and the, the breathtaking awe, the, the unbelievableness of Titus's triumph, and then you compare it to Jesus' triumph. And what does Jesus have? A little old donkey. Feet potentially dragging on the ground. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the incarnate creator of everything. No limit to his power, and he comes in on a small donkey. And when you think it just 
just blows you away. To be so powerful, so grand, so heroic, and yet to enter in this way. The fact that he chose that. Just how humble and meek our Saviour is. And even the fact that a part of his, everyone else's triumphs was coming in, great celebration, his triumph would be heading to his death and a sacrifice. Just so much humility with his triumphal entry. And the disciples, obviously, they respond in praise, uh, yet the Pharisees respond in negativity, casting doubt. Just this, again, just a critical sort of view of everything. Um, and, and Jesus, he weeps over Jerusalem, saying, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. What did, what did the people of Israel need? Peace. What, what do we need? Peace. What, is, what do the people of Birmingham need? Peace. Not, not political peace, not, hey man, some of that stuff would be great too, but not military, but, but this is spiritual peace. Yeah. A peace that is freedom from the captivity of sin. But again, the Israelites, they, they missed this peace, didn't they? Even though it was right before their very eyes. It's kind of like that moment where you're either looking for, I don't know, sunglasses or something like that, or your reading glasses, and where are they? Oh, you're on your head the whole time. Yeah. Right before your very eyes. It, it's, it's this sad moment of he's right there and, and they missed it. But I think we too can, can miss this as well. We too can miss this peace that Jesus wants to bring because I think we can have this idea like they did that it would be this grand epic parade and, and we can sometimes read the Bible or view Jesus and make Christianity kind of like, uh, it's almost like it's not enough for me. Like it's, Jesus is a little too humble for me. I know I need help in my life. I know my marriage needs help. I'm a mess. But studying the Bible, really? Will that really do it? I, I just don't think that will be enough. I, I need something else. Something a little more impressive. Maybe something a little more professional. And amen, there's, I'm not saying there's not a place for professional help. All that, I completely recommend that. But that's not enough. That, that won't bring us peace that Jesus brings us. Peace from freedom from sin. That these words have more power than any self-help book you could ever read. Any, any other thing that we can go to, this has way more power than any of that. Yet sometimes he can be too humble for us. In on his little donkey. And Jesus is saying, if you don't want me as I enter in on this little donkey, you can't have me when I re-enter in on that horse. Saying, you, you need me now or never. He wants to see our heart, but, but he wants us to not miss what he's bringing. Jesus is, is the solution to the turmoil in your life. The, the ups and downs that we go through, Jesus is the solution. He is the missing piece that we need. In, in verse 41 and to 44, again, it describes how, uh, how they miss their saviour, right? Um, and how because of that, this destruction that Jerusalem will face... And, and on the other side, so we looked at one side of the, the Titus Arch, and on the other side, it depicts the rest of the people coming in, and, and you can see what they're carrying is what the lampstand. And, and there's, it's hard to tell, but it's an upside down table, which was also that in the lampstand came from the Holy of Holies in the temple. And these are, they, they were, the Jewish historians writing the, obviously the sadness, but the awe of no one had ever seen these things except for the high priest. And they're being paraded through 
Rome. Just this was just beyond comprehension. They, they looted the temple, they took everything from it, and, and the main thing is they use a lot of the spoils from this to build the Colosseum. And then the Colosseum was obviously used later for Christian persecution. It's amazing to see how everything ties in the way it does. And, and now Luke has, has written this in 62 AD, roughly. This happens in 70 AD. And so scholars, they, they try and do as many different things as they can to discount, saying, no, there's no way this could have been written then. Why? Because these guys prophesy to a T what would happen eight years later. Like, it, it exactly happened. They, they had this siege embankment. Exactly what happened, it, what, they, what was written, is exactly what happened. And you think, oh my goodness, how amazing God's word truly is. And, and again, the only thing that was left, again, this is just some sort of fun facts, the only thing that was left were a couple of small towers and what you guys may have heard of as the Western Wall, which is the Wailing Wall. And again, that's why it's so significant. People go there, it's sort of the last kind of remnant of, of what it used to be. Um, but again, this was the totality of the destruction upon the unfaithfulness of those who didn't want to recognize Jesus as their king. And, and Jesus is our missing piece. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. We, we need to, to respond to this because those who don't, Jesus, Jesus weeps. And, and for us, he weeps if we miss this. Not, again, it's not this anger, it's this, just this sadness of he doesn't want us to miss out on the peace that he wants to bring. That's how much he cares that we respond to what's going to happen in these next couple of chapters as we study on in the coming weeks. He is our missing piece. So I, I want to encourage you, don't leave this passage not either having decided to seek God or having decided to renew that commitment in some way. That I, no matter what's going on, I'm never going to miss the peace that Jesus wants to bring. He is our missing peace. Um, carry on. In, uh, our second point uh, is House of Prayer or Den of Robbers. And we'll carry on reading in verse 45. It says, When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple court, at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find a way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Again, we know this scene, and uh, this scene is obviously uh, written in, in all gospel accounts. Uh, in John, it's written at the start, and there are two theories behind that. One being that John wasn't as concerned with timeline and more concerned with theming. And so at the start of John, he, he lumps together three of the first miracles, or three of the first sort of acts, I guess you could say. Um, and, but the other, the other theory, which I personally I think is more probably in line, is the fact that this probably happened a second time. And the reason I personally also agree with that is because we all know that sometimes sin takes a few goes to get out of our lives. It's not always just first try, boom, done. It can sometimes be a readjustment and a re-examining. Um, and again, so, so Jesus heads back in here and he's pretty fired up, isn't he? he? He comes in here, he clears out the temple of the animals, the sellers, 
but but the thing is, is to most who were there, this was almost a bit of like a a minor thing, so to speak, in their minds. It was like a nuance that that to them it was sort of oh man, what, what's going on? And the reason being, it was it was Passover, and so people were travelling in from all over, and you you had to bring a sacrifice, and that could be a little difficult if you're spending two weeks travelling. And so they, the law made an allowance that saying, well, come to Jerusalem and you can purchase sacrifices here and sacrifice them. Which is all well and good, but, but obviously over, it was meant to be outside, not inside. And, and so, again, to, to them it's kind of like, well, okay, what's, what's going on? This is a, we're, we're trying to help, right? We're making it closer to the place of sacrifice. Isn't that helpful? And with whatever reasons they justified it. Um, but where was it happening? It was happening in the court of Gentiles. Yeah. The, the one place where, where the Gentile people, everyone else who wasn't Jewish, was supposed to have a chance to be able to seek a relationship with God. Right. And this is where it's happening. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why he becomes so indignant. Mm-hmm. Saying this is meant to be a place where people can seek God and you're turning it into a den of robbers. Mm-hmm. He was indignant. Yeah. And... And again, he was saying, you know, he, he sort of, he, he, he raises kind of the standard up a whole level. Where to them, this was not necessarily a big deal, because they were really focused on a lot of their rituals and stuff like that. But to them, it wasn't a big deal. But he raises the standard a whole lot. And, and this is the standard for holiness he expects of us as well. That it's not just maybe the things that we see as obvious sins in our lives, but yeah, even the small things. Even the things that may be seen insignificant. The, the smaller nuances of sin that can be in our lives. And in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about this. He says, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrifice this idea of getting at the yeast getting out a little bit can affect so much and as a ch- in our personal lives a little bit can affect so much in this church a little bit can affect so much and we need to have this heart that not that we're policing and we do, but that that we just have this humility of okay if if there's something there no matter how small let, let me go after getting that out of my life Having this heart that Jesus truly wants us to have, and, and I think again, it's um, it's amazing because obviously Jesus is doing this, and we don't have any recordings of anyone jumping up and saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, Jesus, what's going on?" Say so a part of them kind of knew probably that, yeah, yeah we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And that could be kind of like us. We have these nuances that sort of like, oh, whatever, until maybe someone brings it up or we read a scripture and we're like, "Yeah, I know, I probably shouldn't be doing this." And that's where we just need to take an honest assessment. Say, yeah, what, what is really going on? Let me not just focus on the obvious, but let me get into the smaller stuff as well. Stuff that doesn't seem like a big deal. Maybe that's a flirtatious look or flirtatious laugh at work or university that we sort of, ah, whatever. Maybe it's the lack of integrity at work. Well, everyone does it. That's how you need to get by. 
Maybe it's that materialism that creeps in when you get a pay rise or a bonus and you, your first thought is, what can I get? Rather than maybe, what can I give? Maybe it's the shame you anticipate as you, you're thinking of, of sharing your faith with someone. Maybe it's, it's that recently cleared internet history. And you think, well, I've cleansed it out when really you've just corrupted all the more. Maybe it's, maybe it's the TV shows and movies yeah. that, that you think the storyline is so great. That's why I push through all the sex scenes and nudity. And I don't think it really affects me. Yeah. Or it's our conversations with our family at home or in the car. Maybe it's our temper, our gossip, slander that we justify as well. That, that person deserves it. So many things that, that can easily creep into our lives and we need to let Jesus come in and cleanse these things out. And you have this heart towards Jesus. Um, that this idea of kind of this zeal, and obviously in the other Gospels it talks about, uh, well I think in John 2 it talks about zeal for your house will consume me. We kind of need that zeal in our lives that we just, we just want to get anything out that, that corrupts us. And even, even if it means flipping over tables, it, uh, that's, what, that's what he did. I don't know if he does it in this scripture, I don't believe, but, um, but he definitely did it in the first one. Um, but, but there's a funny meme that says, the next time someone asks you what, what would Jesus do, remind them that flipping over tables and chasing people with a whip is within the realm of possibilities. <laughs> Obviously, no, we probably should but, but it's just his attitude of, yeah, I, just, I, think I want to do anything to get these things out of my life. Do we have that, though? Do we have that? We, we need to have that. Jesus then goes on and, and he says in, um, in verse 46, he says, my house, my house will be um, a house of prayer. And he's referring to Isaiah chapter 56 in verse 3 to 8. And we'll read this out for a bit of context. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let the let the eunuch say, Behold, I am and let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, to and be his servants, Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Again, it was this image of that this wasn't just meant for the Jews, this was meant for everyone. And that's what this place is meant to be. A place for everyone. Mm. That yes, even the eunuchs, even anyone who wasn't Jew, it's meant for everyone. A house of prayer. That's what God's plan was. And yet, in this case, it's been turned into something else, hasn't it? Jesus said you turned it into a den of robbers, which is a reference to Jeremiah 7, which says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, 
if you truly execute justice uh, one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you've not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Full on scripture. Full on scripture. And this is the reality of what the temple had become, and even what the people had become living wickedly, following other gods. Again, he goes through a long list there, right? And they have this this kind of false security saying, well, the temple of the Lord, we have the temple of the Lord. It was this security of, we're okay. We're okay. And Jeremiah is saying, no way. You can't just live however you want, do whatever you want, and think just because you have the temple, you're secure. There's no way. He goes, it, bear, it disrespects my name. It makes my, my house to be a, a den of robbers. And, and Jesus comes and he challenges the people in the exact same way. And he challenges us in the exact same way. That, that we can't just think, yeah, well, I, I go to church. Like, I, man, I've, I've been baptized. I, I, I read the Bible a lot. Everything is okay. When, when our life doesn't match up with these things that we believe. We need to have a heart that doesn't rest assured on, in these religious rituals, but, but goes after following God. Making every effort to, to hold to His covenant. To hold to His covenant. Um, and again, Jesus calls it a den of robbers probably for a few different reasons. One being people were actually being ripped off as well, being overcharged. And not just that, but most of the, the chief priests who were letting this happen were getting a cut of the prophets. So it really was like a den of robbers, literally. But also, what else are they robbing? The other people from getting to know God. That the hypocrisy was stopping other people from coming into a relationship with God. And and again, if, if you shared your faith a bit, you've chatted to people, and if you speak to someone who's maybe once was sort of Christian, but sort of went away, so often the reason that, that they turned away is hypocrisy. Yeah. People saying one thing and doing the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. One way on Sunday, different the other six days of the week. Mm-hmm. And the, the call for us is, let that not be so of us. Mm-hmm. Let us not be that. Let us, let us really aim to go after the discipleship that Jesus wants. To go after the, the purity that he calls of us in our lives. And to not have some security from religious traditions that we hold on to. Let's, let's make sure that, that this church is a house for all nations. And again, I think, let's, let's, let's make that decision today. If you feel like, man, okay, yeah, maybe there's a part of me that, is, that I feel like is light, get open about it. Pray, get, make a decision that, that something has got to be different. But I think in the same way that, that hypocrisy can scare people away, I think the opposite is true, that 
when people see true Christianity, that draws people to them. When people see this is, a, this is something different about this, that, that's different. That draws people to it. People want something like that. This isn't just religion. And I think, again, there's lots of great examples of this in this church, but, but I just can't help but think of, of our sister Sharon. Obviously, she's, she's with God now, but, but man, I feel like she wasn't about the glory, wasn't it? But, but just a faith, the, the, the same all the time. Faithful in her Christianity, helping people, loving people. And you, you could see all the different impacts that she's made on so many people. And, and it's, again, it's, it's that. That's, that's the heart that we want to have, not so that people give us glory, but so that we impact people and draw them to God. Let's be a people that want cleansing, that we want Jesus to come in, transform our lives at home, at work, our marriages, transform our purity, every area of our life. And third and finally, and quickly, is third point is hanging on his words. Obviously, Jesus continues preaching uh, in the temple every day, and it says that all these different religious leaders were trying to kill him. And it says that they couldn't because... Everyone was hanging on his words. You picture that. The people hung on his words so tightly that they could never find an opportunity to get to him. Just the, the commitment to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I just want to encourage us as we close out that, that this should be our heart. That we cling to God's word so tightly. That... I think sometimes I think it can be kind of like, yeah, I'm sort of holding on, like, like yeah, like this is a pretty good book, and but but it, we're not we're not clinging on, we're not hanging on every word that we read. It's, in fact, sometimes we're hanging on to other stuff whilst we're sort of loosely hanging on to this, other things for our security. We need to hang on to this. This is the hope of peace. This is the hope. Of cleansing, and, and and this sort of reminded me of a few years ago. I don't think I've got a picture of that. But a few years ago in in Sydney, we took the team ministry and we went rock climbing. And it, those who have been rock climbing, at first, especially when you get up high, you you know you're like you're clinging on really tight, right? And so much so that the next day, maybe even your arms sort of hurt, your fingers hurt. But those who have gone a lot, eventually, you as you've come more sort of secure in the harness and the person below you, you actually get pretty confident and you don't hold on as much. Even sometimes if you're getting tired, you might even sort of sit back and let the person hold your weight as you rest. And, and I think that can, that can be sort of that mentality with uh, rock climbing. And, and I think sometimes it can even be the same mentality with God's words. At first, we really hung on tight, but, but now we've kind of got these other things that we sort of hold on to for security. And we need to say, no, no, that, that can't be true. Instead, it needs to be like what happened at that as well is obviously the teen leaders were partnering up with teens and stuff like that. And at one point, I had a teen who was doing my, like he was sort of holding the rope for me. And, and it was that moment when you're up, I don't know how many metres, maybe 20 metres or something like that, and you realise, I weigh 80 kilos. This 13-year-old child weighs about 30 kilos. Um, you're like, what if I fall? Will he go up? And, and, it's in that moment. and it, it probably wouldn't happen, but he's turning around talking to the other teens as you're like, oh, it's good. But again, that probably wouldn't happen. But, it's, but I tell you what, I held on tightly in that moment. And we need to realise that 
that meant we need to hold tightly to God's word. Too often we grip onto other things, money, popularity, relationships, whatever it is for our security. No, no, this is where we're going to get that peace. We need to hang on to Jesus' words. And, and again, just a, a cool story to sort of illustrate this, a guy named Alex Honnold. Uh, this is um, El Capitan, a mountain in uh, America. And it's basically one of the most dangerous climbs in the world. And this guy did it uh, with no rope. And he's, he's there and he's literally just... There's a, some other photos show it. There's just this little like crevice in the rock and he's got his feet and hands jammed in there. This dude, the whole way up, would have been hanging on for dear life. Calmly, he's a professional, but still, he's not. there's no messing about. Let's have this attitude to God's words. Where we are clinging on. That, that this, is, this is the chance for eternal life. Let's cling on to it. Let's never forget these words. And so, as we, as we take the communion, as we take the bread and the juice, let's remember that because of what Jesus did on the cross, his, his great triumphal entry, he is our missing piece. He is the answer. Don't miss it. Don't think you'll find it somewhere else. What Jesus did on the cross was to be the ultimate cleansing of our lives and makes it all possible. So again, let's, let's inspect our lives as we pray, as we reflect. Is there anything in there that does need to come out that needs God's cleansing, His forgiveness? And let's be a shining light to the world that lets this place be a house of prayer for all nations so that we will be part of that triumphal entry on that last day. Amen.